Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a fantastic podcast. If you don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan, and I've written a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, Volumes 1 through 9 available at Amazon in paperback and ebook, so please partake of them. And also Volumes 1 through 8 available in audio format at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes as well. So please do go out and purchase 15 or 20 of them. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget, soon it will be Christmas. And they make an excellent gift. That's right. And there's supply shortages everywhere, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure Bill can get you these books. (laughs) They're like toilet paper. Don't be caught without a copy of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. And as you can hear... Sorry to interrupt you. (laughs) My brother has already joined us. KJ, what's happening, bro? Ah, I'm doing all right, Bill. I'm just getting out the warm clothes here in North Carolina. It's been quite chilly and wet and windy. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's getting to be that time. But still, during the day, for the most part, the forecast throughout this week and next week is like over here, mid-50s to 60 is a high. So I'll take that in November anytime. Yeah, yeah. You know, but nighttime. I think you're going to have us I think you're going to have us beat on the high temperature. <laughs> believe it or not. It's chilly here. Today the high was 46 and that was only for about 5 minutes, I think. <laughs> so. Well, well, you know what? My buddy up in uh Alberta was <laughs> when I was talking to him uh last winter, it was uh 36 below. And uh, he lives in a house where the front is basically glass, like a chalet. And, uh, of course, that's in decent weather. That's good for solar gain, right? But once the cold comes, (laughs) you don't want a wall of glass in your house. You're saying for like the 30 days of decent weather in Alberta. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, you know, these cats, man, they beat to a different drum than we do, brother. Oh, you know, they they like winter. It's okay with me. <laughs> I like winter, too. I just get tired of it, and, uh, and then I want it to go away right away. That's why I live here. <laughs> yeah, I covered up my boat today, too. I didn't use it much this year. Not much fishing. There was a lot going on. But uh, I covered it up. I'm not going to wait 
you know, till uh, everything starts to break loose and do everything the last minute. I'm just not that way, you know. No, well, I don't think you're going to miss out on anything. I told you I dropped off my boat for winterization today, and I was laughing with, uh, you know, the guy checking me in because uh, I said, usually when I drop the boat off, I'm kind of mad because I think I could get another week out of it or something. But today the rain was coming down sideways. It was like 39 when I dropped it off. I said, I'm fine dropping it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good night. Good night. Tuck her in. (laughs) Uh, By the way, you know, uh, you remember me telling you that some of the wiring on my truck was getting eaten? Oh, yeah. And uh, Was it a a Bigfoot? No, no, Bigfoot couldn't get under the hood. But uh, the other day I'm out in the yard and I caught a rat running around. Yeah, yeah, and... uh, so that was, I say the other day, that was probably a couple of weeks ago. So it turns out this little bastard was making a nest inside of my drain pipe because there hadn't been rain in about two weeks. Ah. So after the rain, I pulled all of these sunflower seed husks and all this junk out of the rain pipe. And I said, wow, this little bastard's been busy. Well, <laughs> about three days ago... His business ended. (laughs) I saw him stick his head out of the pipe, and I got my pellet rifle, and whammo, right in the head. Threw some lead lead at him? Yeah, yeah. You know, (laughs) if if I could get away with it around here, I would have took the shotgun and blew the whole pipe apart like an old (laughs) (laughs) freaking... Like an old movie, you so know, I'd like to say clam. I'd like to say no rats. I'd like to say no rats were harmed in the filming uh, or in the recording of this podcast, but <laughs> I'd probably be lying. Yeah, yeah. No, you know what? I mean, obviously, Kev, I got all, I got everything under the sun around here, crawling around, and uh, you know, woods rats, Norway rats, whatever these things are, they're around too, crawling <laughs> around and walking around too. Yeah, yeah. You know. You may not see them, but they may be there. Well, you know, and uh, point well taken. Uh, you know, we had that fella Steve uh, out west that sent us all those pictures about the Bigfoot cast he had. Do you remember looking at them, Kev? Yep, yep. And yep. Steve is a Native American uh, biology teacher. Uh, he's a real woodsman. And uh, he claimed, or he claims, that most of the animals are cleared out of the woods now where he found all of these casts and had this encounter. Uh, His opinion is that the Bigfoot is well able to capture and eat just about anything that crawls or climbs in the woods, and they're more than willing to do so. And I only mention that because, you know, I told you, I got stuff all over the place here, Kev. I mean, if you think, like, what's a Bigfoot going to eat? I mean, the woods that I live in is supporting great horned owls, screech owls, foxes, deer, woodchucks, raccoons. I mean, rats, mice, voles, moles. I mean, there's so much stuff around here to be eaten by any of the woods creatures uh, that can partake of the variety, it's no small shake. 
that a Bigfoot, yeah. given the circumstances, could eat anything it wants to. You know, just mm. catch it and munch on it. No doubt about it. You know, a little rat in a stick. <laughs> rat pups. <laughs> rat pups. <laughs> So yeah, you what, probably got some coyotes around there, too, because usually when you got all the critters, you may not see them, but you probably got coyotes these days. Those things are everywhere. Well, you know, I, I have no doubt, you know, there's stuff out there. And the point is that, you know, everything's food for the taking uh, for any interested party. So, you know, to me, yeah. what could a Bigfoot eat? Anything it wants to and anything it can get its hands on. <laughs> <laughs> might even go, might even go through the drive-through at Bojangles. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you got today, bro? In our cryptids in yeah. the news and other oddities. Yeah, we're going into the news today, right. and we were talking about boats, and we're actually going to talk about a U.S. Navy submarine that was recently in the news. That struck an object in the South China Sea, believed to be one of these uh, underwater submerged objects, USOs, as in contrast to an unidentified flying object. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And did you read about this one, Bill? I have heard about it, but I haven't heard any follow-up. They actually think it may have been a USO? They don't know. But, you know, these submarines, of course, this is uh, the, the this story came, was on ABC News. So mainstream and it was reported on October 7th mm -hmm. of 2021. So not long ago. Right. Less than a month ago. And um, this this submarine is the Connecticut USS Connecticut. So uh, it's uh, uh, was launched in 1997. So modern nuclear sub. And uh, it's cruising along in the South China Sea, and it hits something. And these things don't hit things unless they want to hit things, right? Right. Um, you know, it's got the best uh, sonar in the world and uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they don't just run into things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the story with you. It's not too long, and then we can talk about it a little bit. It's pretty, I think it's pretty fascinating. Absolutely. It's also fascinating that the Navy's reporting this, right? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that tells you something right there, right? You always have to look at what's not said when something like this is said as well. Now, right? I, I know you're going to get into the story, and I don't mean to jump the gun. Any damage reported? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Go ahead, bro. Yeah. So this uh, nuclear-powered attack submarine, okay, so it's an attack sub, uh, it collided with an unknown submerged object while traveling through the international waters in the Pacific Ocean. So, you know, deep waters. The Navy described the submarine as being safe and stable condition, but said it was making its way to port for damage assess assessment uh, so that they can also try to figure out what struck it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it was submerged on October 2nd, operating again in the international waters of the Indo-Pacific region, uh, which is what the statement said from the Navy's Pacific fleet. And uh, the safety of the crew remains the Navy's top priority, and there are no life-threatening injuries is what the Navy reported. So there may indeed be some injuries as well. Wow. So it didn't hit yeah. any it didn't hit anything. It was hit. 
It was hit, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they talk about that it's a nuclear propulsion plant and the spaces around the nuclear power plant were not affected and remain fully operational. The extent of the damage to the remainder of the submarine is being assessed, and uh, the Navy has not requested assistance from anyone at this time with recovering the submarine. So, you know, see the mind. And, the mind would go that well, maybe a Chinese sub hit them, but really, then I, I, I thought immediately that they would know those guys were near them. That wouldn't happen either. Well, that's the whole thing. You know, these subs, of course, everything's highly classified, but just what you can learn from reading books, you know, and uh, reading the stuff on the Internet is, you know, they have uh, basically sonar. Well, you know, first of all, the U.S. generally leads the world in two different types of technologies, at least two different types of technologies with submarines. One is uh, sonar, so the ability to listen to what's out there. And the other is uh, silent propulsion. So everything from how the propellers are designed to the, the, the power plants, etc. Um, you know, because the two tricks in uh, submarine warfare are not being detected, so being completely stealth, but yet being able to hear everyone else. And part of hearing everyone else is, is creating a signature a sound signature on sonar, sonar, not just for the country's, the country of origin vessel, but actually the specific vessel. So each vessel that they listen to, they create a signature for it. If they haven't heard it before, then they, you know, name it something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Bigfoot or something else. Sure. And then they listen to see if they hear Bigfoot again. And then uh, the sighting of Bigfoot on the sonar so to speak. Um, and, uh, you know, in this case, that, you know, in my opinion, they're not going to run into uh, another submarine, you know, that without hearing it. You know, they, they, I just don't believe that. Right. Or, you know, our listeners can write in and criticize me for believing that. But I'm a techie. Uh, as uh, as generally folks know. And, uh, you know, this is kind of my thing. And uh, I just I just don't believe that. And then also, you know, they're not in uncharted waters. And I don't think there are any uncharted waters today for the U.S. Navy. And uh, so I don't think they hit a mountain or something like that either, an underwater mountain. Yeah. I, I think, you know, there's something weird struck them. Yeah. And uh, something evidently they didn't hear or pick up on either. They didn't see it or anything because, you know, you're on a submarine underwater, a nuclear submarine full of weapons, by the way. Right. Yep. They didn't mention that, but it's full of all kinds of nuclear weapons. You don't want to run into anything or have anything run into you. Yeah, There's no doubt about it. You know, and you nobody know, wants to dodge whatever is out there. Yeah. And of course, they know uh, nothing uh, terrain wise is going to catch them off guard. Right. I'm, I'm sure they have an acute visual of anything and everything surrounded them. Uh, I mean, my goodness, look at what I have in like a hummingbird sonar system on the boat. I mean, right. I can get, uh, and this is just what I have, you know. You could look out 45 feet to either side of the boat, port and starboard and stern, 
Uh, you see stuff on the bottom. You can see an old tire, schools of fish. You know, and that's a, a freaking $1,000 unit screwed into the hull of a boat, you know? Right. I mean, right. these guys, they, they know what's around them and ahead of them and above them and below them. Uh, there's no doubt about it, you know. Yeah. And one of the other reports that's interesting, uh, not from ABC News, but uh, I think it was the Associated Press reported on this same incident that the Chinese government was requesting that the United States provide details of the incident, which happened in international waters, but, you know, relatively close to China. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the AP reported that unnamed officials verified the submarine did not strike another submarine. Hmm. So somebody in the Navy said, hey, we hit something, but it wasn't a submarine. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And it led me to think about, Bill, probably you as well. You know, some of the stories we've done before, like the the 2004 uh, famous uh, Tic Tac uh, UFO sighting by the U.S. Navy pilots uh, flying F-18s off San Diego mm -hmm. on the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier, you know, that they spotted this UFO under the surface of the ocean, right? And that's what we typically call an unidentified submerged object, or USO. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's some of the folks out there, uh, not ABC or AP, but they're saying, oh, maybe this was a USO, you know, some type of, uh, uh, you know, alien craft or something under the water. Well, you know something, uh, I'll give the people a heads up. I mean, folks, I told you I'm working on this uh, new book, UFO, uh, and I'm telling you flat out, when that thing's done, and by the way, I'm done with it. It's ready for print. I'm waiting for my uh, graphic arts uh, person to uh, finish up the cover. I'm telling you, uh, I have a couple of hot accounts in there, one in particular off the coast of California regarding uh, USO activity. Mm. And, uh, you know, you can believe it or not. Uh, I do believe it. And uh, these things are and have been being seen for a long, long time. Uh, and so uh, if you want to read a couple of real hair-raising accounts. By the way, my UFO book is set up virtually like all of my Bigfoot books. I have uh, individual accounts uh, that I've written out, uh, and uh, some of them are a little shorter, a little longer. None of them are going to kill you to read or get into, but they are very, very interesting. Uh, mm. So so there you have it. So go ahead, Kev. No, no. So that's that's basically it, Bill. Okay. I mean, it's we got to stay tuned. I mean, this happened less than a month ago. Yep. But some of the top agencies reporting on it, right? It happened on, uh, reported first on October 9th, 2021. So not too long ago at all. And we got to stay tuned and see what's going on with this thing. Because again, there's a couple of things at play here. One, that the Navy reports this, right? To mm -hmm. the press mm -hmm. and to the world. Um, that leads me to believe the Navy didn't hit, like they didn't just make a mistake and run aground because they probably wouldn't report that, you know, if... 
if no one was, you know, tragically injured. Right. Um, they do have some injuries. They do have some damage. They got the submarine into port. It looks like it came into port in uh, Japan mm-hmm. uh, for assessment. And um, but but that they're reporting this thing. Mm, it's kind of kind of strange. It might be something. <coughs> Two things. Definitely. Did- definitely uh, something in the news and also an oddity. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. A good report. Uh, Did you, by the way, see any pictures? They have pictures of the submarine, but you can't see the damage of the submarine. You know how these subs cruise along on the surface of the water. Yep. Um, If it didn't hit the tower, kind of. Yeah. um, It's hard to see. You know, and it must have took a pretty good whack because they're saying no life-threatening injuries. But it sounds to me like some of these guys got the... Thrown they around. Yeah. I, I think they got more than thrown around. Yeah. A couple of folks, you know, they said uh, they described it as, quote, moderate injuries, unquote. Yeah. Broken bones. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to get slammed amidship or something. Yeah. To- well, and don't forget, it's a total surprise, right? You'd think. Right. Because if right. they didn't, if they saw it, they wouldn't have hit it, you know. Yeah, well, I don't know what it's like inside a, an attack sub, but I got to think if you're just cruising, uh, you're not locked in like a NASCAR in three-point restraints with your head. You know, I got to think it was reasonably casual, uh, the accommodations in there when you're cruising along and you're not in uh, attack mode, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's crazy, man. Well, you know, obviously yeah. you're on it, and uh, if we get any more information, we'll bring it out, you know? Oh, we'll definitely report on it. And again, if any of you out there, listeners, know anything about this that you can share, you know, if you're in the Navy, I don't want you to give us secrets or anything like that. But if you have anything that you can share, please bring it forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you know all listeners will. <laughs> I know. I know. They're good about that. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, we hope you had a good Halloween. You listened to our episode. That was a pretty good show we put out uh, on Halloween, Kev. Yeah, oh, but that's, that reminds me, Bill. I wanted to ask you, like, how about trick-or-treaters? Did you get any over there? No, you know, I told you, my neighborhood, it's it's not a viable place for uh, gathering uh, candy together in large quantities. That's because you're always. It's because you're always shooting rats out in front of the house. You're scaring the kids. Oh, we man. had we had a boatload, maybe ten boatloads of trick or treaters this year. It was good to see. Uh-huh. Um, I would say probably three hundred trick or treaters or so. And uh, I shared with you, Bill, uh, right after Halloween, my favorite costume, folks. This kid comes up. And he looks a little bit like a green T-Rex, but a little more serpent-like than a T-Rex dinosaur. And then he has this, uh, like, tartan plaid sash across him. And then, like, a beret on his head made out of tartan plaid. And this may be obvious to you, some of you, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know what this is. And I said to the kid, I'm like, dude, I love your costume. But what are you? And he said, I'm the Loch Ness Monster, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I gave him the bowl. I said, take whatever you want. I love that, man. One, one, I should have known that. But, uh, you know, (laughs) anyway. 
What an ingenious uh, combination costume to put together, you know? It was fantastic. I mean, once he said what it was, I was like, of course you're the Loch Ness Monster. Of like, course. Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. I love that stuff. Best costume Ooh. of the night. All right, so let's break it out here. We're going to go across the pond. Way across the pond. This following remarkable sighting was told to me by Val Strenskiev, a Ukraine rancher of dairy cows and horses. This is what Val had to say about his sighting. In the early winter of 2014, I had taken a run early in the day basically to inspect some of the fencing in our pastures and to relax. The day was pristine, having just had about five inches of snow overnight. My family's farm or ranch, if you will, is generational, having been owned and cared for by many of my ancestors going back to the 1800s. The setting that I want to present to you is the reason why I had sent you the photograph. The photo, however, was taken just last week, while sitting in the exact same spot where the sighting had occurred years earlier. The snow had ceased at about 5 a.m., and after having finished my morning meal, I set out in my truck heading for the back of our land. The property consists of 675 acres, most of which is rolling pasture land divided into individual grazing pastures by what you would call in America split rail fences. I had stopped my truck to smoke and was facing forward, seeing what you are looking at in the photo, only covered in a fresh blanket of snow. As you can see, there are about seven or eight individual pastures rolling up the slope of that mountainside, which is abutted by the pine forest. I had been sitting in the truck for about 20 minutes, with a foggy kind of morning mist flowing down over the side of that mountain, wafting over the trees and down into the pastures. I distinctly remember that the sun was very bright that morning and this mist or fog was beginning to dissipate to the point where there were individual little clouds, if you will, floating down and through the pastures. At this point, I was packing my pipe. When out of the corner of my eye, I believed I saw a tall, dark figure enter the forest about 200 meters ahead of me. As you look at the picture, the lane or passage that is visible on the left-hand side in the distance, which somewhat divides the forest, is where I first saw the creature. What I saw would be similar to you seeing the last second view of somebody ducking into a doorway. The truck I was driving was actually Soviet Army surplus, being a flatbed with a stake body 
and painted in what would be considered camouflage. The road leading in was located at a relatively high point, with the highest of the pastures sitting below my position. Now, I had been in this forest many, many times before, where whatever this thing was had gone into. It is extremely dark in the brightest of sunshine, due to the extreme size and dimensions of the trees which form it. I began to concentrate my gaze into the trees, hoping to gain sight of this being. Just as one of these drifting clouds overtook me and my truck, completely obscuring my view. In my mind, I was growing anxious as to what I should do. In other words, to get out of the truck or to wait for it to move by me. The cloud, that is, folks. Having chosen the latter, about three minutes went by and the cloud had passed me fully. I was now once again looking at the trees. If whatever I saw was to pass directly through this area, it would have to emerge from the woods, virtually immediately confronted by the fence line next to the trees. So I waited and I watched. A moment later, out of the trees on two legs appears what I would call a yeti and, as you call it, a Bigfoot. It took two steps out of the trees and extended its arm to the top rail of the fence. As its arm extended, it was already lifting its leg to clear the rail when it tumbled forward into the snow. What I had missed in those seconds, and had only realized later upon further inspection, was that the rail had collapsed when the creature leaned on it, causing the beast to fall forward headlong into the snow. I remember it flipped around a couple of times as though it was hurt, but then it quickly got to its feet, throwing both of its arms into the air as we would, saying something like, What the heck? The creature kept walking across this particular pasture, approaching yet another fence, and this time it stepped right over, with no use of its hands. These top rails, by the way, were all placed at about two meters, so this was no ordinary man stepping over it. Having cleared the fence, I now realized the Yeti would be re-entering the adjoining forest in a matter of seconds, disappearing from view. I decided to beep the horn and see what would happen, and so I did. As the horn sounded in this valley, the creature lurched to its right, looking directly at me and froze. At that moment, I felt as though our eyes were meeting, even though it was perhaps 150 meters or better away, and it stood perfectly still for about 30 seconds. It then proceeded to turn away and with several long bounds cleared the field and the remaining fence and was gone. I sat there for about an hour trying to gather my thoughts about what I had just seen and decided to leave <coughs> Excuse me, and come back later to inspect the area where it had traveled. Later that afternoon, my two sons and I returned, 
both of which were more than a bit excited to see what, if anything, could be found. We were all armed as we exited the truck and began a descent into the pastures. We approached the fence where the rail had given way, and upon close inspection, the timber was not decayed at all, but rather had been snapped by the force or weight of this beast. The wood was firm and strong, with none of our group being able to damage it in any way. There were huge impressions in the snow laid down in a straight and uniform pattern, appearing to be like that of a deformed human foot. I say this because the toes were spread out in a weird way, as compared to, say, our own, albeit this creature was in no way limping or walking in a way that indicated it was lame. We then walked back to where I had first seen it entering the trees, where we were confronted with a long line of visible tracks coming down through the break from an elevation about 400 meters above us, which also which also was also through the forest. Now following its path through the trees and back to the fence, we came upon several branches which had been snapped off freshly at about a height of three meters, evidently having been done by this creature. Emerging from the woods, we walked down to the point where it had been where it had been uh, emerging from the woods, we walked down to the point where we had been staring each other down before the Yeti left my view. Now standing where it had stepped over the fence before re-entering the forest, I stood there dumbfounded. The beast had to have been better than a meter and a half at the crotch to clear the fence in a stride which left me thinking that it had to have been three meters or perhaps more in height. Its color was brown with reddish undertones and appeared to be some three or four hundred kilos in weight. The body was thick and uniform in its dimensions and it appeared to be sturdily constructed with its arms hanging down nearly to the knees. My sons and I measured the distance between its steps, being greater than two and a half meters, and those measured when it had begun its hasty exit closer to four. Since that day, we have seen nothing more, having looked for it in earnest. There was never a mention of this creature in my family from the time they had settled here to this day. Neither had any of my neighboring properties' owners commented on such a creature being seen. What do you make of that, Kev? Uh, I like our Ukrainian Yeti sightings. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we think, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't say we think. Our focus is mainly on what happens in North America. But by no means is there nothing going on in other places. Uh, It's just a question of who contacts who and who makes it known, you know. 
Well, yeah, and there's a language barrier, et cetera. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not listening to the podcast in the Ukraine. You know what I mean? From the Ukraine. I, I know we have a lot of listeners in uh, Eastern Europe, the Ukraine, and into Russia as well. Um, but there is a significant language barrier as well. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned language because I was, uh, I was listening to uh, Michio Kaku talk the other day. And uh, somebody raised the question. Well, I won't get into it. It would take me half an hour. But uh, Dr. Kaku commented that English is the predominant language globally. Uh, when you go to conferences in Asia, in Europe, in South America, uh, here and there, any type of scientific conferences, uh, the language spoken is English. So a lot of people Yeah, speak- I think I, I would partially agree. I mean... Because they they usually do, from my experience being in those places, they do like a quick survey around the table and start talking in whatever language they prefer. And if most of the crowd can follow in that language, then if you speak English and you're in the Ukraine, you're screwed. Yeah. I mean, like, you're out. I mean, like, and that's true in Paris, France, in uh, Hong Kong, you know, Shanghai. You know, Tokyo, although Tokyo, like most people, don't speak English. You know? uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of the default. But m- most people in these lands, in the science field and things like that, they they can understand English, but it's hard to speak if it's not their native language. And English is a complex language. You know, it's uh, all of those silly little rules that we have for, you know, plurals and... Uh, uh, you know, conjugation and stuff like that, they're, they're pretty complex because there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, that's true unless X, Y, and Z are true, you know. Right. So you have Kind to- of like explaining the game of baseball to somebody that never <laughs> saw it before, which I've done, you know, and, yeah. and you're like, and they start to follow you and you're like, oh, no, not if there's two strikes. Then if you do this, <laughs> you know, then... <laughs> Then that's actually you strike out even though you hit the ball. Right, you know? right. Well, it's like if following. the catcher catches it <laughs> off of your bat and you swing, then you're out. You know, even though you tipped it. Wait, right. wait a minute, what? Right. It's it's one thing to follow the game; it's another thing to read the rules. Exactly. Exactly. Which and the team? languages are the same way. <laughs> anyway, that's a a long-winded explanation, but I did want to chime in. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. How about this creature? Uh, it's almost comical to me that uh, the guy catches it leaning on a rail and breaking through it and saying it jumped up like saying something like, <laughs> what the heck? You know, I, I can see this like, you know, stumbling into the snow like he just wrecked my whole hairdo. I was wondering if it like if he saw it like kick the snow after that, you know. <laughs> Kev, I, you know, I have to go here. Do you remember in the old Bugs Bunny cartoon, The Monster? Uh, which which one? Tasmanian well, Devil? Or? No, no, The Monster. That was its name. Oh, it oh was no, a, I don't remember The yeah, Monster. He was a big, hairy guy with no neck, covered in hair, similar Sounds to a Sounds like Bigfoot. somebody I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think in the one comic, uh, in the one uh, show, 
Bugs was dressed up uh, like a woman, kind of like a spy or something. I'm trying. Oh I'm yeah, just, he used to do that. Like yeah, the he used Matahari. to do Matahari. Yeah, the Matahari bugs, and he was like, "Monsters are so intriguing." <laughs> uh, that's funny though but uh, here's awesome. this guy smoking his pipe overlooking the the uh, farm sees this thing coming says it what he saw initially was like the last second of a man stepping through a doorway caught his eye was able to Surmise that it was going through the woods, probably, or more than likely. Catches it coming out the other side. And interesting, after it snapped the first rail, when it made the second rail after hearing the uh, horn and stopping, it didn't lean on that one. It stepped right over it. (laughs) Very interesting, though, you know? It's it's an awesome description. I was, like, leaning in as you were... uh, as you started to talk about that, like stepping into a doorway, I was like, for a minute there, it was hard for me to understand. And then I was like, oh, OK, I get it. Yeah. And you know I what? Get what he's saying. How about the follow up when they tracked it, uh, basically following the path that it went? It was snapping off some branches higher in the tree. And how many times yeah. have we heard about that? Yeah, uh, a lot. Yeah. In the land of Bigfoot. Who knows what that is, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. Interesting. Yeti! That's it, man. The Yeti. Yeti's out there, man. Yeah, well, you know. All we have to do is ride back, uh, roll back the uh, pages of time to that story, The Long Walk. Oh, yeah. Remember that? I mean, that was a true account filled with death and misery and the last thing they saw coming out of the Himalayas, uh, Himalayas was two Yeti. So that's pretty, yeah, uh, yeah that's pretty uh, amazing, you know? No, 100%. 100%. Scary so they, stuff. There you have it, man. All right. Well, we got some good letters this, this week, Bill, in listener mail. And the first one, I don't know if this is the first person that wrote in from this l- remote location. But this is Tim, who is a Long Islander. Mm-hmm. You know anybody from Long Island? Uh, well, I actually work with somebody named Tim from Long Island. Oh. Uh, I wonder if it's him and he didn't let on to me he was writing in. Well, you'll have to ask him when you see him at work about this particular episode that he references. So uh-huh. The subject is Twilight Zone Harry Man episode. Okay. And he says, uh, hey, guys, I know all this talk about the $6 million man episode, but I always see that hairy man hanging off of the plane from the original Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner called Terror at 30,000 Feet. Mm -hmm. By the way, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, and I am a Long Islander for 50 years. Uh-huh. Keep up the great shows, and I love all of the New Yorkers' comments. My kids went to Oregon Middle School. <laughs> Lots of laughs, he writes. One last thing. I got into the Harry Man watching In Search Of and the 1977 movie Sasquatch. Take care. Awesome. 
And Tim, by the way, that was, you know, if you go all the way back to our early episodes, if you're brave enough, back before we figured out a little bit of audio and things like that, <laughs> um, I did reference, I think, when Bill asked me what was the first thing I remember about the Harry Man, and it was that Leonard Nimoy in search of. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they went through the Patty film and stuff like that. So, yeah. And I don't. I thought like I'm. I'm probably mixing up the movie Twilight Zone and the original series. But I think of Terror at Thirty Thousand Feet, where they're flying along in the thunderstorm, and there's like that gremlin out there on the wing, tearing the wing apart. Yeah. So I got to go back and look at uh, look for the hairy man out there on the wing. But I think of that vicious gremlin out there and like every time the lightning flashes uh you know the person's looking out the window and they're like oh and it's starting to tear apart the wing yeah yeah that was definitely a demon uh of some sort on the wing it wasn't a bigfoot okay uh so you're right kev but i'm not sure what tim is talking about maybe there's something else you know yeah i'll I'll do a little search on that one but i haven't had a chance yet but you know Kev, I mean, Tim could have been on his second six-pack. That could have been his mother-in-law at that point on the wing. No! (laughs) (laughs) But, Tim, it's good to hear from somebody else from Long Island. I know there's other people out there other than my brother. (laughs) Unbelievable. And we love your reference to Oregon, although I'm sure the people in Oregon don't love your reference, but that's part of our game here. Yeah, so his kids went to the uh, Patchogue Medford School District. Oh, is that where the school is? Yeah, you or- know that school? Oregon Avenue Elementary School. And is it named after the state or some other thing called Oregon? Yeah, but they. here's the thing, though. The school district is very insistent that you pronounce the name of the school properly. And I'm going to tell you how to pronounce it. Oregon. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> Say it with me. Oregon. <laughs> Here come the letters. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. The mailbox is filling up. <laughs> All right, Bill, we're going to go down under to Anthony. Anthony from yeah. Sydney, Australia. Hi, mate. And the subject <laughs> is preferences. Uh-huh. He says, you guys cover a lot of cryptids in your podcast, and I, for one, love them all. <laughs> but I'm curious, do you prefer Bigfoot or our beloved Yowie? Yowie! <laughs> or UFOs? Or other weird cryptids, and tell us why you prefer your favorite. So, what do you think, Bill? Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, so, I, Harry Man, UFO, other weird cryptids. Yeah, I really, uh, me personally, I'm a mixed bag. I mean, I really enjoy all the subject matter, uh, but because of the focus, Uh, on Bigfoot, uh, and of course, entitling my books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, uh, this is really the majority of the data stream that comes my way is is Bigfoot, you know, but obviously you know now that I have a a vested interest in the UFO phenomena, and I love talking about all of these other uh, 
creep show type uh, creatures located around the country and the world, you know. The whole thing is very fascinating to me, you know. What do you think, yeah, Kip? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, you know, I like them all. I do uh, have a little bit of a passion for these really weird cryptids, especially the ones that, you know, showed up, had a lot of witnesses and stuff mm -hmm. back before the Internet. Yeah. You know, like the the ones that jump to mind are, you know, one of my favorites is spring Jack, mm -hmm. you know, like bouncing around between buildings in greater London. Like mm. it's just amazing to me that so many people reported on spring Jack. And then, you know, the rumor that it might have been some type of weird, you know, marquee royalty that was you know, kind of like a superhero kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. bouncing around in costume, a little bit like a, a an evil Batman or something like that back then. So I think that's cool. And then the, the Van Meter monster and stuff like that, that you, you know, I've reported on that are just these small town phenomena that a lot of people saw and really mm -hmm, didn't mm -hmm. have anything to gain by reporting on it. So I, I lean a little bit more towards those weird... Uh, weird cryptid stories again you know where they were reported back in time where people had nothing to really gain by reporting it and everything to lose mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it wasn't a game of who can get the most viewers and stuff like that so, yeah very interesting good. very interesting yeah good question anthony from oz hope to get back to oz one of these days anthony yes the pandemic ceases Excellent, excellent. And and then, Bill, we go to Tori. And Tori is in Bend, Oregon. All Say right. Say it after me. Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> hey, very good. Better, and right? And Tori says, yeah, very good. Big fan of the show. Love the variety. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the unscripted interaction with the brothers Sheehan. All right, Tori, what makes you think we're not scripted? Because we talk over one another all the time? <laughs> <coughs> As I'm coughing here. Yeah, um, yeah. But she says, Tori says, what are your thoughts on cattle mutilation? As you may be aware, we have seen maybe more than our fair share in eastern Oregon. Best to you both, Tori. What do you think, Bill? What do you think's causing these cattle mutilation so yeah, we we see them on uh our favorite ranch out in utah and uh you know there's reports of them all over the world for years yeah well the thing is you know again in my new ufo book we're going to touch on some of that too because there's some really uh enticing accounts in there about mutilations but again uh these seem to be related to the ufo phenomena uh, yeah. And you know that my opinion is that these things are of demonic, uh, demonic in nature. Uh, what the answers to that question are, I don't know. I don't believe we'll ever know. So not the cows, but the mutilations are demonic. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. to be clear. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean, want people to walk away thinking these cows walking around were demonic. I mean, they could be, but you know, you'd, think, <laughs> you'd think the demons would pick a more hideous life form. Yeah, just the cows with horns. 
<laughs> not just the black and white milk cows yeah, like yeah. from the Ben and Jerry's commercials. Yeah, I no. got nothing against Elsie. Mm. Moo. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. All right, Bill. And our last letter comes in from some guy named Kevin. What a funny name. Yeah. Kevin in Spokane, Washington. And he writes, hi, Kevin, Bill. Kev, I know you know you used to live in Spokane. And as you know, although we are not in the middle of nowhere, we are five minutes from there. <laughs> <laughs> and that is definitely true. And uh, he said, we occasionally have cougars and grizzly bears show up in downtown Spokane. But I don't know of any hairy man sightings in our fair city. Do you know of any? And he signs it, Kevin in Spokane, Washington, and then in parentheses, not Oregon. Wow. 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 So, Bill, I think we reported. I think you had an account up on Mount Spokane, right? Yeah, that Um, uh, watch the fire tower. Near that tower. Near the fire tower, right. I was like, what kind of tower was that? Fire tower. Yeah, and it was interesting, too, because it wasn't exactly spoken about as a Bigfoot. But really, oh, that was a that was a shapeshifter, right? Wasn't that like a woman in a dress? It was a little girl that turned into oh, some okay. type of large visage of some kind. You know, he didn't say it was a Bigfoot, and he didn't get into a lot of the detail of it. It's just that she turned into something else that was, you know, whatever, ten times bigger than she was walking away. That's awesome. Yeah, that was creepy, yeah. man. Wow. I was thinking it was a Bigfoot, but you're right. Now you're jarring my memory because I remember talking about the fact that I've been hiking up there near that tower. So, Kev in Spokane, we will keep our eyes peeled and you keep your eyes peeled, too. And to all our listeners out there, you know, like we always say, if you see something, say something. And uh, I've been looking at our reviews the last week. I don't look at them a lot, but, boy, thank you so much. You guys have been giving us fantastic five-star reviews Keep them coming because it's virtually the only way we have of drawing new listeners to the podcast. And Mm -hmm. by getting new listeners, we can stay on a regular weekly schedule and continue to improve the quality of the podcast. So thank you so much. Yeah. And thanks again, folks. And try to get out there and buy a couple of books if you can. You'd be helping out the cause uh, very much. So in closing, remember... If you should find yourself stomping around in the forest somewhere, perhaps the fire tower in Spokane, remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.